guys, and welcome back to Mindful Minds. Um, my name is Fina. I realized pretty recently that I have not been introducing myself in like any of these episodes. Um, I've recorded almost like 30 at this point, and I realized like I don't say my name ever. So if you don't personally know me, my name is Fina. Hello. Nice to meet you. Um, this is episode five, and we're going to chat about deconstruction, but specifically about my deconstruction journey. Um, it's pretty recent, but um, I wanted to do some of these episodes a little earlier on because I want you guys to have some background into how I approach other issues. Because if you don't know me personally or you don't know my story, um you know, how I approach certain things or the opinions that I have might be kind of confusing. And I think there's always uh, value in having context to situations. And that was why I shared my survivor story in episode three, because we do talk a lot about things of that nature, like further on in episodes. And I think it's important to know the context behind my personal experiences. Um, But I wanted to give a trigger warning to just start off, you know, right off the bat. Um, I don't know what I'm going to say in this episode because I'm recording in real time, but I do know my own story. And so, um, this will be a trigger warning of just religious trauma and, you know, deconstruction in general, because that can be really triggering to people going through it. Um, and then I'm also going to be talking about sexual assault and rape and sexual assault investigations. Um, pretty, uh, Briefly, I guess I'm not going to get super into details of anything. Um, it just plays into my deconstruction, uh, journey. And then I'll also be talking about mental health and, um, suicide a little bit as well. And then (laughs) kind of what always ties into deconstruction, there will also be some chat about misogyny and homophobia and transphobia and things of that sort. Um, so there's your trigger warning. As always, um, you know, take that as you will. If this is not something that you're comfortable listening to, no hard feelings. But I wanted to do this episode um, primarily because it's a huge part of my story, but then also because I know that a lot of people who listen, um, mainly because I know them personally, I know a lot of people are going through this right now. And I think specifically a lot of people in my kind of community are going through it and are deconstructing kind of in real time. And so I thought that it would be beneficial to try to go through this a little bit and chat. Um, so let's just, let's just start off. Let's get going. Um, so I grew up in a very Christian home. Also, sorry, (laughs) before we start, Stevie's here as well. Um, because I have nowhere else to put her. So she's sitting on my lap right now and she tends to really be interested in the mic. So if you hear little sniffles and little clicky clackies, that's Miss Stevie Ray. She's made another appearance. Um, Okay, now let's start. (laughs) So um, I grew up in a really conservative Christian home. Um, I, there was never a point in my life there, that was Stevie. Um, there was never a point in my life where Christianity wasn't a part of it. Um, we were like a pretty diehard uh, Christian family. I think that there are some families that, you know, you grow up in a religious environment where like you go to church, but like, you know, it's kind of just like a, a moral thing where people feel like they're supposed to go to church. That was not us. <laughs> um, 
my family was like very, 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 very heavily involved in Christianity, in the church, um, just in all of it. And from a really young age, I mean, I, I started going, I, you know, I was the kid that like got dedicated and like, which if you don't know what dedicated means, if you're not like in, a, you know, you don't know the Christian lingo, um, basically like newborns will be brought to church and like go on stage and like the pastor like dedicates their life to Christ, which saying that in real time, I now realize is really fucked up. <laughs> I didn't realize that that was fucked up until just now. Um, anyways, but so I was the kid, like I got dedicated, like I was in church starting like at birth, basically. I remember like our first church going to Sunday school and like, you know, I, I was very, as all, you know, I was there for the prizes, honestly. I didn't have a choice, but I remember our first church, we had little wooden tokens that, like, we could, like, you know, earn for learning Bible verses, which even, I mean, hi, really early on, you can tell that you're teaching kids to be in this religion, not because they want to be, but because it's like, hey, what can you get out of it? Slash, you're also kind of forced to be in it. Um, church wasn't an option for me uh, ever. I don't think honestly until, well, no, I don't think it was ever an option for me until I turned like 18. Um, we started having some more freedom towards like teenage years, but it, it wasn't an option. We, you went to church on Sunday. It was not an option. And I remember like days that I'd get really frustrated and be like, I don't want to go. And it was, nope, get in the car. <laughs> like we're going. Um, you know, I also grew up in an environment where, it wasn't just church. Um, although we did go to church every Sunday. Um, and we were really involved in that, like really, really involved in that. We also, um, went to Christian school. So I went to Christian school from ages three to 16. Um, started off like in preschool. Um, and then in addition to that, it was, it was extremely, uh, you know, our, our whole home life was very Christianized as well. Um, we were the family that prayed before every meal. We were the family that read Bible stories before bed, that did prayers before bed. You know, we listened to Christian music. I didn't listen to secular music until I was almost like 13 years old. We weren't allowed to watch, um, uh, you know, anything above a PG rating until we were older. Even then we weren't allowed to watch R-rated movies. My parents still to this day do not watch R-rated movies. Um, we, this is one that is funny. I wasn't allowed to eat Lucky Charms because they were lucky, <laughs> which my mom has since like seriously chilled out about things like that. But, you know, we were their first children. And so they were also uh, relatively new Christians. And so, you know, they were a little bit more intense with us. Um, but, yeah, that's one that I think is really funny. And, like, even, you know, TV shows, we weren't allowed to watch, like, That's So Raven or Dragon Tales because there was, like, a mystical element. I wasn't allowed to watch Harry Potter. Um, my mom used to, like, sharpie out the villains in children's books um, because they were, like, evil looking. Once again, Stevie Ray, we are not doing that. <laughs> Once again, um, you know, it. The, my mom has chilled out a lot about oh, pretty much all this stuff and, like, we laugh at it now. But, like, 
you know, it, she was trying to protect us from what she felt was like bad influences. But, you know, with that comes, I was a, I was a very sheltered kiddo because every aspect of my life was rooted in the church or in Christianity. Like, you know, I go to a school where you're not allowed to cuss. Like you're not allowed to, you know, there's not secular music that's played. There's Christian music that's played. I go to chapel every, I think it was like Wednesday or Friday. Stevie is like really deciding that now is going to be her playtime, which is really fucking annoying. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, every aspect of my life was pretty much Christianized. Um, and I'm using that as if Christianized is a word. I honestly don't know if it's a word or not, but yeah, I just, I was really sheltered. And I think that anytime that you're sheltered to that extent, you're going to lose some learning opportunities. And it's also going to be quite a culture shock when you enter real life, um, which it was. But, you know, I wasn't exposed to different groups of people, really. I think the only time I was really exposed to other groups of people um, was in kind of unique scenarios or when doing, like, outreach and, like, when, like, working with, you know, houseless populations because we did that a lot. Um, but even that, I think that there was kind of a savior complex and I'll get into the savior complex more later because I think that it is rampant within Christianity, but, um, actually let's get into it now. Um, basically like, you know, you're, you're taught, you're taught a lot of things. You're taught a lot of things are right. And you're taught a lot of things are wrong. And you're taught that everything comes from this book that you're, not allowed to question because if you question it, then you're sinning. But when you question or even just think about the validity of it, uh, often the only response that comes with that is, Oh, it was God breathed, which, okay, (laughs) cool. That's not actual proof or evidence. That's, that's just you saying that God influenced it, you know? Um, And then with that, like you're taught that you have this information that is so valuable and that you are correct and like what you know is right and that everyone else in the world is wrong. Like if they don't believe in the word of God, everyone else is wrong. Every other religion, anyone who doesn't believe in religion and you're kind of like groomed from a really young age to just be a prideful asshole, honestly. Um, and I say that kind of lightly because I think that there's different ways to go about it, but like no matter what, at the end of the day, if you're evangelizing to people and they're saying that they don't believe it, you still have this like thought in your head of like, Oh, that's so sad. How sad that they're going to go to hell. (laughs) Um, all because you're so convinced that you're correct and everyone else is wrong. And that creates the savior complex because you think that you have this information that can save people from the pits of hell. And so of course you're correct. Right. Um, and then I think that that it's very easy for that to bleed into other aspects of your life. And for me, I'm already, I was born a very black and white person, like right and wrong. I do think that growing up in Christianity really aggravated that and like really cemented it into my brain. 
but I'm already a pretty absolute person. And so when you're already pretty absolute and then you're handed, you know, this, this book of truth that's saying, you know, everything (laughs) and anybody who doesn't believe in Christianity is essentially has less knowledge than you do. That's a dangerous thing to put in the hands of a already pretty prideful, like child. (laughs) Um, and you know, it made, it made me think that I knew everything, which I already was that type of a kid where like my parents would say something and I'm like, you're wrong. (laughs) Like you're wrong. (laughs) Period. Um, but then it put into like, it put it into perspective where, um, you know, I, as a 10 year old thought that I knew more about life than a 60 year old who wasn't a Christian because I had this like word of God. And then I think simultaneously it made me really weary of accepting advice or counsel or wisdom from anyone who wasn't a Christian because it was like, well, they can't have anything valuable to share with me. That's more valuable than the word of God, which was so dangerous because And it also taught me to kind of villainize those people, which I think a lot of people who grew up in Christianity agree with, where there's this like, you know, be in the world, but not of the world. And so you have this fear and this like doctrine kind of drilled into your head that you want to evangelize and you want to try to, you want to try to convert people, but they never use that language. But the goal is conversion. Um but you know, you want to bring people to the Lord. That's a, that's a better, uh, that's like more so how they phrase it, but it's trying, it's conversion. You're trying to convert people. And, um, I think the, the really scary thing about that is like, you know, you're, you're so focused on converting people and saving people from this damnation. And you think you're honestly like superior than them. And then you're, you're only, it creates this like cult-like mindset. And I'm going to refer to this a lot of like there being this kind of cult-like mindset. If that offends you, sorry, it's my opinion. Um, and it's not harming anyone. <laughs> my opinion isn't harming anyone. It might upset you, but it's not harming you. Um, so I think that there's this cult-like mindset. And what I mean by that is it's this like circular thing where you're taught that you know more than everyone else, that you want to convert them to your religion. And then anytime anyone comes to you, even if they have a really set, valid, um, you know, group of whatever uh, evidence proving that you're wrong or that your religion is, has flaws and has loopholes, you're taught that they don't know anything and that you have this word of God. And so the word of God trumps whatever this other person is trying to tell you. And then that keeps you from questioning anything. And so you're, you're kind of in this like Stockholm syndrome, like mindset where you don't question anything and you're kind of just like eyes on the prize. But back to the whole conversion thing, even that is just like so upsetting because They teach you to start converting people when you're young. Like I remember the first time I helped someone pray like the prayer and had them accept Jesus into their heart. I was like seven years old and it was my neighbor. And I remember like running to my mom and like being so excited that I had just like brought someone to the Lord. 
And if you think about that, like I just tried to indoctrinate another seven year old. That's terrifying. Like, I'm sorry, that is really scary. And it also dominated so much of my childhood because I, I wasn't just focused on being a child. I was focused on like this really huge, greater cause that was also really scary because I had this deep fear that if I didn't help get everybody to heaven, they were going to die in hell. And then I also had this really intense fear that I was going to go to hell. And so I would like re-accept Jesus into my heart like every few months or years because I was like panicked that I like had waited too long and I had like fucked up and I wasn't going to get in anymore. And so I think starting at a very, very, very young age, as soon as I understood the concept of hell, I was not quote unquote following Jesus to do anything but save myself from hell and prove that I was a good person. That was it. And you know, looking back on that as an adult, I don't think that it's ever a good idea to get into something out of just like fear of punishment. I think that's highly manipulative. And it's also kind of a telltale tactic of abuse. Um, and it, there was a lot of, you know, damage that was done to my psyche through thinking that if I made a wrong move, I was going to go to hell. And I think the thing that was really hard for a lot of people to grasp was it is preached that once you accept him, like he's in your heart and that your faith saves you, not your works. But I remember that that was a theme throughout my entire a relationship with God, whatever you want to call it. I wouldn't call it a relationship, but my my contract, I guess, is a better way of phrasing it. There was no relationship there. There was a contract. Um, all the way through my contract with God. Uh, I think the thing that was really confusing was it was just like, well, I don't. how do I know if my faith is strong enough? Because you have to do things in order to strengthen your faith and your faith needs to be strong enough to like get into heaven basically but then you're telling me that my actions are not what gets me to heaven well they kind of are because my actions are what's strengthening my faith and my faith is what gets me into heaven and so i just had this really hard time grasping you know there's so many sermons that are like you know it's not what you do it's like it's in your heart and i just like always had the hardest time grasping that And so many times, like anytime I'd like journal or anything, that's what I would focus on. Like it was just the fact that it was like, oh, I know I'm focusing so much on what I'm doing and I just want to focus on my faith. And I'd I'd even gravitate towards worship songs that were, you know, talking about your faith and not your works. Like I I gravitated towards those because I just like was trying so hard to get out of this like do-gooder mindset. Um, But it really, really impacted a lot of the way that I functioned outside of religion. Um, For instance, a school, which I I say that lightly because my school was religious as well. So kind of my entire life was just like Christians. Like I didn't have any other, I didn't have any friends that weren't Christians, I don't think. Except for like maybe a few neighbors. But even that was like, you know, they weren't people that I hung out with. Like everyone that I knew 
were Christians. Oh, except for some dance friends. I had some dance friends, which that was a battle in itself because our dance company was not Christian owned. And that was a big battle as well because I remember my parents would have a hard time whether deciding whether or not they were going to send us to certain companies because of the dance, you know, the music choices and the outfits because dance can get really over-sexualized at a really young age. Um, so I had some like dance friends that weren't Christians, but like even that I'd like try to, you know, like preach to them. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very hard and confusing for me and it ended up bleeding into like my schoolwork where I became so obsessed with being the good kid and I was a hundred percent the teacher's pet. Um, I still am the teacher's pet. I like teachers to like me and I'm not ashamed of that, (laughs) but you know, I became this like teacher's pet and I became so obsessed with my grades. Um, I, my goal starting in sixth grade was to have straight A's all the way to 12th grade. And I did that from sixth grade to 12th grade, every single report card, I got all A's literally. And then starting in ninth grade, I didn't even have an A minus because I was trying to get valedictorian. Um, I tried to join every club. I was on the worship team. I was on the prayer team. Um, I'm a good public speaker. And so I would be told that I I was a prayer warrior and I'd always get put on like prayer circles, prayer teams. Um, I preached my first sermon when I was like in seventh grade and I actually preached it about suicide. Um, I preached many times after that. Um, I was in, you know, my school choir, which sang primarily religious songs. Um, I joined the worship team when I was in eighth grade. Um, I was on the school worship team prior to that. I actually led the school worship team in middle school. Um, and then I started in high school on the worship team. But I think the thing that was hard about even that, which this will kind of transition into how Christianity still stayed at the center of my life. Because I think as you get older, a lot of kids who are raised in Christianity start to fizzle out. For me, that was not the case. And I think a huge part of that was I was going through so many mental struggles, which I've talked about in my survivor story um, and kind of what mental state I was in starting high school. Um, And I was so lonely and I was having such a hard time. I had just been through, I mean, sophomore year was my assault Freshman year, I lost almost all my friends. I had gained a lot of weight. Um, I was just like really struggling. And um, not that gaining weight means that I'm struggling, but for me, I had an eating disorder. So <laughs> gaining weight was like really scary for me. Um, and yeah, I like, I think the reason why I gravitated so intensely towards church was because I had a role. And I fit in somewhere, which I've heard a lot of people kind of echo that feeling. Um, I was important and I was needed. And specifically, my church was a pretty large church. Um, it's kind of known as like one of the bigger churches of uh, Tacoma. And um, we were there from when I was five to... I left when I was, I technically left when I was like 19. Um, Although I then kept going to a different church. I didn't entirely leave the church at 19, but like I left that church at 19. Um, 
And in my freshman year, I think, I had, you know, I had been on the worst team. I'd been kind of in these uh, semi-important roles, I guess. But we had a lot of good singers. And I am an average singer at best. And um, I just, like, was never, you know, the person that they picked to sing a lot of the songs. And I think I kind of knew I was average. But, like, <laughs> that didn't hit me until I went to college. And I realized um, – my my college was also a Christian college, and the first day they asked how many of you have been on a worship team, and it was a whole freshman class, and like hundreds of kids raised their hands, and I was like, oh my god, okay, like that's a nightmare, um, and I realized very quickly that like I was not on the top tier of people when it came to singing, but when I was in high school, I kind of knew that as well, and I wanted to find somewhere that I fit in, so I ended up working in production, and. Basically, my job was called experience, and it was essentially like focusing on the experience um, of the service, and this was for the youth service, and that means, you know, like bringing any props onto stage, like bringing out the little table and chair and the water and um, communicating with lights and sound and um, screens and making sure everything's good there. I ran slides a lot of the times because we would always have a hard time finding someone to run slides. Um, and at first I kind of like interned under the intern that was in charge of it. And then um, my sophomore year, I think, might have kind of stretched into my junior year. I took I took over like the whole thing. And they kept trying to find an adult to like supervise me because I was literally like 15 or 16. And they literally just, like, couldn't find someone that would, like, stick it out. And so I kind of ended up being in charge of it for a while. Um, But I was important. And I knew that I was important. And that fucking rocked. Um, I had, like, a key card to the staff offices. Like, people knew who I was. Um, It was fucking cool. And it was also cool because I, I knew that I, like, had a role and that I was contributing and that it was in an important role. I wasn't just, like, in the audience. And I think that's honestly why I stayed. I didn't really have much of an option. I don't really think I was – I always kind of had, like, a doubt in the back of my head about whether or not all this was legit. But I think I just really desperately needed a community and needed – it wasn't even as much a community as it was. I needed to know it was important. Um – Because even community-wise, I didn't even really find a solid group of friends until, like, my sophomore, junior year in college. Or my sophomore, junior year in high school, sorry. And I had been in, you know, involved in the church for a really long time. And I ended up finding my community of friends, like, in the production team. So, like, I was friends with the guys who did lights and the guys who did sound. And even that was cool because I was 15, 16, and these were people who were on staff who were, like, in their early 20s um, or even older than that. And we'd all go hang out and go get dinner. And so it was like I found this, like, community of importance, and I felt mature, and I felt cool. I was also good at it, which was cool. Um, And then I ended up transitioning to doing worship because our youth group significantly downsized. We had a pastoral transition, and when the pastoral transition happened, our youth group size was, like, cut by, like, 75%. Um, And I ended up doing, like, leading – the worship team for a little while. And um, then it was even cooler because then everyone knows your face and knows who you are. Um, but yeah, it wasn't 
you know, I, I think that I did it a little bit to help people, but I think a lot of my motivation was just that I wanted to feel important. It was very self-serving. Um, and that was why I was so committed to it. <laughs> like I was at church. I spent so much time at church in high school, so much time. Holy shit. Like so much time. I did not have a social life. My social life was church. I didn't have friends outside of church. Um, my entire like friend group was like at church. And then I had some friends in high school, but like my best friend for like a really long time, like I met through church and like everything was centered on that. Um, but keep in mind timeline wise, I'm also going through a really serious, like transition in my mental health. I'm going through uh, sexual assault, right? And it was very confusing um, because as everyone knows, the church doesn't do the best job about talking about mental health or any job really back when I was a teenager, they wasn't talked about like at all. But one of the like most vivid memories in my mind is, um, there was a girl that went to our youth group who was really depressed and was self-harming and she basically had like a depressive breakdown And instead of getting her mental health resources or, you know, actually helping her in any way, um, two pastors, actually they weren't even pastors at the time. I think one of them was, but the other one was like, they were both in like a ministry school, which I won't name them, but they're my least favorite people in the Christian community. I'll say that. Um, they (laughs) approached her at the end of a service and there were... God, there were so many people around. Like it, it wasn't in a private moment at all. There were so many people around because our, our youth group was like fucking cool. Like we all hung out afterwards. We didn't like leave. It wasn't like people were like forced to go. It was like trendy and cool. And we'd have these big events. And like one time we had like a rap radio station, like come in DJ. Like it was just like, it was cool. And you had, you had like this, like, you know, a group of like church, like cool church kids. Right. So everyone was still around, like hanging out and talking. And this girl was having like a full blown depressive episode and like she was having a breakdown and these two guys, um, approach her and they start praying over her and basically attempting to perform an exorcism in front of everybody. Um, as if her depression was a demon, Ironically, one of those people has now gone to try to start a mental health organization with no formal training, which is terrifying to me. Um, But yeah, that was like my view. That was like what we were, you know, that's what I was seeing when it came to mental health. And I I didn't want to talk about what I was going through because I didn't want to be like put in that corner with like the other demon possessed people. Um. And then I think anytime that there was any talk about like worrying or like pain, it was always like pray or like spend more time in your Bible, spend more time at church, um, take more notes. That was a big one. Um, our high school pastor used to say that note takers got into heaven faster, (laughs) which fuck you for that, dude. What the hell? That's so fucked up. And you wonder why I had an issue with like, you know, performance and like trying to like do good deeds because everything was so centered around like 
do everything right, look right. And like, you're going to like, you'll get in basically. And it, it's, it was very exclusive in that nature. I don't think it helps that our youth group was also a hell of a lot of really rich white people. Um, so that was hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was very clicky and it was very, it was very confusing. And the, the narrative around mental health just really didn't exist. I think the only narrative there was, was like, if you're struggling, you don't have enough faith. Or the other one was God's putting you through a trial to teach you something. That was the other one. Um, God gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers. Everything happens for a reason. All that good stuff. So when I then go through an assault, which I didn't know happened at the time, but my body knew it had happened, that was when my mental health took a really significant dip. And it was very confusing. And I was hearing that narrative at home as well. Because my parents did not grow up in the generation where mental health was normalized or talked about or mental health care. And so it was very confusing. And then I even went, you know, I, I went to therapy, but I wasn't therapy. I went to a Christian counselor at the church. So even my like, quote unquote, therapy was inside of the same building. It was, it was in church and my church and my school are, were connected. They were a part of the same organization. So the school was quite literally across the parking lot from the church and so I, my entire life was just like in one, like in these two buildings, um, which like I said earlier, you stay pretty sheltered. Um, I didn't even know, like, I mean so much. And if you go to public school, you know, things get tossed around. You learn what different words mean. You learn about different things. I didn't know what a blow job was until I was like 17, <laughs> I didn't even know what it was. I would hear people make jokes about BJ's because BJ's was a restaurant that we went to and they'd be like, Oh, you want to go to BJ's? And I was like, why is this funny? I don't get it. Um, I was like, I was very sheltered. Um, it was all just, you know, I, I just didn't. And then you also have the aspect of you're not exposed to different people and different experiences. Um, I didn't meet someone who was gay until I was like seven, 16. 16 or 17, um, there was a very small percentage of like people of color. Um, there were, you know, maybe in my school, which I'll, I talk about this more in my, and we're going to do an episode coming up about growing up in a Christian school, but you know, there were maybe like three black kids in my entire grade. It was very, very, very whitewashed. Um, and it was also, you know, a lot of rich kids. And so there was just a lack of knowledge and experience. And I actually didn't start to kind of get exposed to different things until I was 16 and went to community college. And then it was like, oh, okay, <laughs> slap in the face with some culture. Because like I said, it was a huge culture shock. Like I had never been out, I had never been out of this like Christian bubble um, but yeah. And so kind of going back to the church that I grew up in, it kind of had the classic, classic church issues, right? You've got kind of a general misogyny. You've got very few women in leadership. Um, we did have some women in leadership, um, and we did have some women preach, um, cause we were, you know, modern, um, but there was a lot of like slut shaming and like, you know, women should do this. 
Um, anytime we went to camps, um, church camp is a whole nother beast to try to talk about. But like, you know, I went to church camp starting in third grade all the way till I think I went all the way up to my sophomore year in high school. And then I started counseling for the children's camp. Um, but yeah, oh God, church camp is like such a whole nother issue. Um, you know, we'd, we'd get separated into boys and girls and the boys would get talked to about porn and the girls would get talked to about, it was either always like gossip or how to like be a good partner or a good wife or a good like woman in the church. Um, which as a kid, I was suffering from a really severe problem with porn. So that was always really hard because I always kind of wanted to like jump in on the guys talk because I was like, this is something that I'm struggling with, but no one knows. Um, but I knew that's what they were talking about with the boys. Cause that's always what they talked about with the boys. And so it was like, Oh, I, I would like to talk about that too. Cause like, I'm having a lot of issues with this. Um, and you know, church camp, you've got, you know, you'd go to the beach and the guys would be able to wear swim trunks with no shirts. The girls would have to wear either one pieces or, um, like tankinis or like a bikini with like a shirt over it. Um, that shirt couldn't be light colored. Um, even like, I remember a few times I wore like a tank top over my bikini and I like, I got in trouble for that a few times. Um, they wanted you to wear like a fucking like boxy t-shirt. <laughs> um, you know, at camp there's the whole like, you know, blue and blue and pink don't make purple. Um, I don't, it was just, you know, there was a lot of just misogynistic narratives that were kind of bred into us. There was also a really confusing narrative about sex. Um, we were never allowed to talk about sex, but then our pastors would get up or specifically our high school pastor would like get up and like talk about how like hot his wife was and how they would have sex all the time. And it was always very confusing and uncomfortable. Also, um, there's no way he's listening, but like, that was weird. (laughs) Like, you're weird for that. (laughs) Talking to a whole bunch of teenagers about how you like to fuck your wife. Like, it was bizarre. And it was very uncomfortable. Um, There wasn't any talk about, um, you know, social issues, racism. Uh, Obviously, there wasn't talk about homophobia because the entire institution was homophobic. Um, But, like, yeah, like I said, it it teaches you that you know everything and other people don't. So I was the kid who, like, would run around and, like, preach that gay individuals would go to hell. I remember having a literal debate with someone um, who was gay (laughs) telling her that like gay people go to hell and that like, I don't think I said gay people go to hell. I think I said that like being gay is a sin. And it's, it's like the most heartbreaking thing to know. And it's been really hard to process to know that I am a hundred percent the source of some people's trauma because of what I was taught in Christianity and what I was groomed to go and preach. It just like, it just shatters my heart that I, I, I know for a fact that I am in someone's story as their villain. Um, and as the person who caused them like trauma, it just like fucking makes me want to vomit. Um, but yeah, there was like so much of that which has just been like really hard to process as an adult when you start to kind of deconstruct it and break it down. It's gross to think about. Um, 
even at camps, I remember we would have like the cry nights where there was like a really big emotional thing and everyone would cry. And I remember one specifically when I was like in middle school where there was so much noise and so much screaming. I basically had a panic attack and I thought it was the Holy Spirit. Um, I was really overstimulated. I have some sensory issues and I was just like, I couldn't really handle it. And I was in the corner rocking back and forth, like hyperventilating. (laughs) And everyone was like, it's Jesus. And I was like, yeah, for sure. (laughs) This is what he feels like. Okay, (laughs) cool. Um, Meanwhile, I should have, you know, probably talked to a therapist about it, but you know, (laughs) it got the sticker of the Holy Spirit, which is fine. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so, and then kind of transitioning into how I started to deconstruct. I don't think that process actually started until I was maybe 19 or 20, but I started to have some questions in high school. Um, I had worked in production for a really long time and I started to kind of question like, ugh, I'm, I'm part of a team that like purposely like dims the lights at certain points and like, tries to have these like really intense songs. And I think it started to kind of become apparent to me that a lot of this was like manufactured and like fabricated where a lot of the emotions that people were feeling, it was because we manipulated them into feeling that way. I don't think I had a full grasp on that, but I think I was just starting to kind of question like, Oh, this feels a little bit unethical. (laughs) Um, and then in high school we had the pastoral transition. We got a new pastor and, I started like writing down things that he would say in sermons that were like really sketchy to me and keep in mind, I'm also at, at a community college now. And so I had kind of this like different viewpoint on life because I was involved in, you know, a community college where I was being exposed to a lot of different experiences. I had started to realize that like, you know, I was, I was, I was 16 or 17 when Trump started running for president and that started that actually aligned like perfectly with um me taking like a poli sci class at like this public community college so like i started to realize that, like i didn't like trump and i started to realize that like women should have equal rights and like all these little things that kind of like more liberal um ideologies that kind of started to creep into my brain and then i started kind of being like oh yeah like i actually don't really like this um And then we had a pastoral transition and the pastor started saying some like really sexist, gross, um, discriminatory things from the, from the pulpit. And I remember I started writing them down. I ended up reporting them to HR and I watched HR do nothing about it. And that was kind of the first like red flag for me that started to like really make me doubt this church as a whole. And then I had a friend that had confided in me that they were sexually assaulted by a member of the church. That really started to fuck with my mind a little bit. Cause I was like, okay, I don't know how much I trust this organization anymore. Then I go to college. I go to a Christian college. And I think the, the level of uh, fakeness that occurs at a Christian college versus a Christian high school is pretty drastic. And I kind of, I liked it at first. And I think maybe six months in, I was like, Ooh, (laughs) this doesn't sit well with me. One of my biggest things for that was how my college dealt with the topic of tongues. Um, I, for some reason was always really passionate about the fact that biblically, 
Um, there's been a really serious misunderstanding in the Christian community when it comes to tongues. People try to um, make tongues and the Holy Spirit synonymous. And if you go back and do word studies on the Hebrew or the Greek of those passages, um, they, they don't mean the same thing. So what I mean is people will say, everybody can receive the Holy Spirit. And what they mean by that is everyone can receive tongues. And my dad is like a huge like theologian, you know, like really studies the Bible, does word studies all the time, has read the Bible through so many times. And we would talk about it. And I was, for some reason that always just like really pissed me off when like people would miss uh, translate and would start to preach that like, if you claim that you can have tongues, you can speak in tongues because biblically tongues is a spiritual gift and not everyone has all the spiritual gifts. And that always like really made me angry. Then I come to this college, um, which was the same denomination as my church. And there starts being a lot of sermons about like tongues and like basically doing exactly what I just said I didn't like when people did. And there was one specific service. It was like one of the like, you know, Monday night services that were like, you know, optional. Um, and they preached about tongues once again, as like, if you call upon the Lord, like you'll receive it. And they had someone get on the mic and start speaking in tongues, which is not biblical at all. And, um, and I say all this because I, I was, I was not just like a Christian kid that like went to church. I was like a hella nerdy Christian kid. I mean, I started taking Bible classes when I was in first grade. I have, I had so many, so much of the Bible memorized. I did so many word studies. Like I was in it. And so they had this guy come up and like speak in tongues on the mic and I was pissed. And then I started watching like all these students like raise their hand to like accept the gift of tongues. And then you'd see like everyone like start surrounding them and like trying to pray tongues into them. And I was just like, I started crying. Like I ended up like going back into the green room and like sobbing because I was so pissed off. And specifically there was like one girl who I kind of knew a little bit and I, it just was really frustrating. She like couldn't get it. <laughs> she like wasn't able to speak in tongues and she like thought she was doing something wrong. And it made me so angry. Cause it was just like, Oh, like you guys are doing this to her. You're making her think that she's doing something wrong because she's not receiving a gift that isn't yours to give. And it just pissed me off. It fucking pissed me off. And that, you know, started a lot of the things that I didn't like about the theology of my college. Um, simultaneously, you know, I go to college uh, starting at the end of August and I get assaulted on October 10th. And then I realize I'm assaulted in January, right? So then you've got a lot of questions that start coming up. Why did this happen? Why did God let this happen to me? I don't understand. Um, there were just a lot of questions and I didn't really have the courage to seek answers to any of them. So they were just kind of all floating around in my head for a while. Um, but then I think I also really needed some sort of solace um, and somewhere to find comfort during the assault and specifically the investigation. And so I found it in like, you know, worship music and in um, praying and things like that. And I was pissed at God. Like I wasn't but I like needed something that like gave this a reason, I guess, and something to believe in so that I just didn't lose all hope, which I think is what religion is for a lot of people. Um, 
and worship music was like always my thing. Um, it was like how I felt most connected to God, which I realize now I just really liked music <laughs> and, um, worship music is very strategic in the way that it builds. And, um, I remember when I first discovered that, cause I was listening to a song that wasn't a Christian song. And, um, I felt the same feeling that I would feel from specific worship songs because there was a similar build, um, and even a similar chord structure. And I remember being like, Oh fuck. Oh fuck. Is it not worship music? Is it just music structure? <laughs> That's like creating this like emotional response in me. Um, which was very confusing. And, um, but yeah, like I, I, during the investigation, I still very much so identified as a Christian. Very, very much so. But I think that's when the doubt started to creep in. Um, and I, that was also really hard because I was already doubting so much in my life and I, I didn't really know how to handle that. Um, then comes July of 2018. And I'm on vacation in Arizona and I get a call from my friend who says, um, so-and-so, AKA the head pastor of the church that I grew up in is getting fired. And I was like, what, what do you mean he's getting fired? And she was like, he's getting fired. And I was like, um, okay. Like why? Do you know why? Uh, fast forward to like a week later, we find out that there were a lot of accounts of sexual misconduct filed against him, um, that they'd been going on for like four plus years. And, um, the church initially defended him and initially stood by him. Later, they um, kind of went back on that and said, okay, never mind. Um, because it was, it was basically like a network above the church that was dismissing him and making him lose his pastoral license. It wasn't the church. So the church was like, oh, we support him. Like, this is bullshit. And then they backpedaled on that and were like, oh, never mind. We believe the victims. <laughs> which is so ridiculous. Um, and I was going through a sexual assault at the same time. Right. But nobody knew I was going through mine. No one knew. Um, and when I started seeing this, it, it, it was quite public. It made newspaper headlines. Like it was the gossip, the hot goss of like the church community. Um, and, First of all, that was when I vowed to never set foot in that church again. Um, I I still, to this day, I don't go to... Even before I decided I was no longer a Christian, I cut that church off completely. Um, I removed almost anybody who was involved in it from my social media. Um, I um, stopped going to any of their like holiday services, even though my family would go to holiday services. I just was like, I'm not doing it. I will not go into this building. Like, I'm done. And... Um, I actually started writing about it on my blog, which was like some of the first blog posts that actually like got a lot of hits because I was like going after this pastor and I was pissed. I was fucking pissed. And I was fucking pissed because if you'd go to the articles that were covering the situation, um, in the comments, you'd find comments saying like, these women are like attention seeking whores. And there was all this like victim blaming and victim shaming and the victims were anonymous. And I made it my personal job to go into the comments and fight off all those people. Because I remember thinking, I'm going through an investigation literally right now <laughs> in real time, parallel with this investigation that's happening at the church that I have grown up in and have been a part of for 12 years. Um, if I saw that kind of shit about me, 
it would wreck me. It would wreck me. And so I just, I started like fighting back and I lost a lot of people in my community over that because a lot of people were standing by the church. A lot of people were standing by the church. Even more people were standing by him. And ironically, he, you know, laid low for about a year and then started a church. He started a church fucking five minutes from my house, which before the church was like 20 minutes from my house. He literally like started a new church that I could it takes me maybe two or three minutes to actually drive to from my house, my parents' house, um, which is just very upsetting. It's still very upsetting. So I have to drive by it every time I go back to my parents' house. Um, and I flip off the building every single time. <laughs> but he started a church and like the ton of people followed him. Like the church, like the church that I grew up in lost like a ton of their members because they like followed this pastor. And that started a lot more questions in my brain because it was just like, God, these people fucking suck. <laughs> and I was also really pissed at the the church I grew up in because they defended him. And then they basically like backpedaled when they realized that they were fucking wrong. And they've yet to issue an apology for that or to really be honest about how that went down or to take responsibility for the fact that they had known about this abuse for four years and did nothing. Um, and that's why I still cannot stand that church. I cannot stand the leadership because no matter how you spin it, they gave a platform to an abuser when they knew he was an abuser. And that's unforgivable to me. Um, and I still to this day, well, <laughs> I'll talk shit about that church anytime. <laughs> like I am not a fan. Um, but anyways, like then, you know, that really starts a lot of questions in my brain, especially considering that I was literally going through my own sexual assault parallel to when this sexual assault was being publicized. And it was just like so confusing. I started having so many questions. Um, I remember I started like, you know, having more community with other survivors. And the one thing that kept coming up in my brain was if... I started asking people in my, in my life that were Christians, if a girl gets raped by a pastor and, you know, decides to never go back to Christianity again because she's traumatized. And as a, from a scientific psychological perspective, that makes sense, right? Cause your body's trying to protect you from trauma. Cause I was also learning a lot about trauma during this time. I'd never known anything about trauma and I was in a support group that was teaching me about trauma I was reading on my own. I was reading books. I was doing research. So I'm learning a lot about trauma. And so I said, you know, if this girl, if a girl gets raped by a pastor and she decides to never step foot in another church again, completely rebukes Christianity, never, ever, ever steps foot near it again, does she go to hell? And every single Christian that I asked said yes. And that was kind of what did it for me. I was like, oh, fuck no. Fuck no. Because that makes sense. It makes sense. If you're abused by a situation and you're abused by someone, it makes complete sense for you to never want to be involved with that community again. That's a trauma response and it makes sense. And it was also the response that I was starting to feel where it was like, I've see, I'm seeing this abuse in a church and I'm feeling traumatized by it because it relates so heavily to my own abuse. And I would feel triggered every time I walked in a church. Um, simultaneously, I was in a church at college 
So I hadn't entirely left the church. I was in a church uh, up, you know, near my college and was actually pretty heavily involved in that as well. It was a much smaller church. And that was kind of something on my list was I wanted a smaller church because I saw so many flaws in the mega church that I came from. So I wanted a smaller church and I was involved in that church for maybe about a year and a half, maybe two years, um, maybe a little closer to two years. And there was an incident a little over a year into it where I got harassed by a um, adult leader and I brought it to the pastors. They handled it horribly. Um, They were basically saying that they would not help me unless I sat down with the guy who harassed me and had a conversation with him. And I'd already tried to have conversations with him and I was trying to explain to them that the way that he acted was really similar to the way that my assaulter acted and the way in the words he used and the verbiage that he used and the way he tried to manipulate me and, um, not, not sexually or physically, but just like emotionally and verbally. Um, and I would, I kept saying it's really triggering for me. Like I'm having panic attacks daily. Um, during this time period, I had a panic attack that was so bad that I passed out like multiple times cause I hyperventilated so hard. Um, I was seizing a lot And I told them all of this and said, you know, I I can't meet him in person. Like, I can't do that. And they basically, actually, I'll quote them just for the hell of it. They said, well, we can't pastor you if you don't want to be pastored. Um, Had no regard for my mental health. Um, And once I finally was able to meet with them, it was just taken so lightly. Nothing ever happened. They never, you know, nothing ever happened. Um, He was in his 40s and I was the new girl who was young And it's so funny too, because they preach like believing women and they preach like mental health and shit. And it's a lot of bullshit. It's a lot of bullshit. (laughs) Um, and that was kind of the last straw for me. It was just like, dude, I can't do this. This is the second church that I've been burned by. And like these people think that they're doing the right thing and they're not. And so that really started it for me. And after that, I ended up going to like one church for a very small amount of time. Um, That was actually really helpful for me because it was a church that was really liberal. That was, um, they didn't care if I didn't think there was a hell. They didn't care if I, you know, did this. They were very, um, they were allies to everybody. You know, it was like they were not, they were very, very, very liberal and very, very progressive. But even that, it was just like being in a church was traumatizing and triggering for me. Um, and then simultaneously, I got out of a relationship that was abusive. And I started exploring my sexuality more and becoming more sexual. And it didn't really feel like I could do that in the context of a Christian environment. And so I just kind of slowly started to step away. And I think that I knew I wasn't a Christian. I hadn't, you know, read a Bible in a year I hadn't gone to a church. I didn't listen to worship music anymore because it was too triggering for me. Um, I think I knew I'd kind of stepped away, but I I didn't want to put a label on it yet because I thought maybe I'm just in a complicated relationship with my creator. Maybe we're having a rough patch. Um, Sure enough, it was not a rough patch. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and then like once I actually started to like really explore what it meant to not be a Christian was actually kind of close to when some of these deconstruction communities started to become more public and more popular. 
So when I was actually going through it, I was kind of going through it by myself. Like nobody in my community was doing it simultaneously that I knew about. All of my friends were still Christians. They all went to church. They all listened to worship music. I was kind of the only one that was doing it. And um, I later found out there was a lot of people at my college who felt the same way, but none of us really knew each other. (laughs) None of us talked to each other. We've all found each other since graduation, like via Twitter. Um, But yeah, I kind of went through it by myself. And um, I started like, you know, once I kind of gave myself the freedom to start asking more questions, the questions came flooding in. And then it was like, you know, okay, how do creation and evolution make sense? Like in separate fields, they they don't. And creation doesn't really make sense. <laughs> so then I was really confused. And then, you know, the questions of, okay, well, if humans wrote the Bible and humans are fallible, then wouldn't we say the Bible's fallible? Um, and then I started finding contradictions in the Bible. And I was like, well, that's confusing. <laughs> and then, you know, more abuse started coming out against pastors and churches. And I was like, huh, interesting. It happens a lot. I started doing my own research about abuse that had happened in my town with, um, we had a lot of mega churches in the town that I grew up in. And, um, ironically, all of them have had really intense scandals and really intense abuse allegations. Um, and then I started thinking more and more about how I hate the idea of mega pastors. And I still hate the idea of mega pastors, but I started kind of, you know, processing that earlier on in college Cause it just kind of pissed me off the idea that like, I don't know, the ethical side of things was really frustrating for me because it was just like, I don't really understand why we're tolerating these pastors getting paid these monumental sums going and buying all this Gucci shit and then like hopping on a stage. It's just like, it didn't make any sense to me. And the celebrity pastor thing pissed me off. And I used to be really in it. Like, you know, I used to buy everybody's books and stuff. I have like, I just recently like was going through my books and I was like, what the fuck? Why do I have a Judah Smith book? <laughs> like, I was like, we're burning it. I didn't even donate it. I was like, no one needs to read this. <laughs> I'm not donating this. No one needs this. We're tossing it. Same thing with Stephen Furtick. I found a Stephen Furtick book. Um, but yeah, I just like, you know, I started asking a lot more questions. And I think once I had the freedom to ask those questions, I'm a smart person. And I started putting, you know, pieces together and I started connecting the dots. Um, And then the real (laughs) nail in the coffin was the pastor of my church (laughs) that I grew up in um, showed up in a documentary about a cult. (laughs) It was this cult that's like this Christian cult um, that's like really involved in politics and like really scary. And I watched the documentary, it was on Netflix, and um, there were certain things that he used to say in church all the time, like, um, uh, fuck, it was something plus, Jesus, or me plus something equals nothing, Jesus plus something equals everything. Maybe it was like me plus everything equals nothing, Jesus plus everything, or Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And then the other one was that, like, my pastor always referred to us as Jesus people, not as Christians. And I didn't know that wasn't normal until I watched this documentary and found out that that is literally the verbiage of this cult. <laughs> and then my pastor always had a ton of really weird political connections. And then I found out that this cult was, like, really heavily involved in politics. And I was like, holy mother of God, I was actually in a cult. Um 
and I ran down the hall, the hallway of my dorm to a girl who grew up in the same church as me. And I was like, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> like, we were in a cult, <laughs> um, which I still stand by a hundred percent. I think we were totally in a cult. Um, a hundred percent. Um, and I'm not going to like drop the name of the documentary and all that kind of stuff, but like use your imagination, um, figure it out. Cause it's interesting. I'm not, I don't want to get sued. So we're going to leave this as anonymous as possible. <laughs> but yeah, that was kind of the nail in the coffin for me. It was like, Oh cool. I was literally in a cult. <laughs> Rad. Um, but yeah. And then moving forward, Oh God, it was a lot of really hard conversations with people in my life who were still Christians. Cause my whole community was still a Christian community. I was having hard conversations with my parents and telling them, Hey, uh, I'm not a Christian anymore. (laughs) Um, those conversations started with me telling them, Hey, I'm not going to go to church anymore. Specifically. Hey, I'm never stepping foot in this church again. Um, and then it, it started then also, you know, I had to make a public announcement, which was shitty because a lot of people knew me as like their worship leader or like someone who they knew from church. And it was like, I needed to make a public announcement and clarify that I wasn't in that group anymore so that I wouldn't keep getting grouped into it. Because I think the thing is, is like when you're known to be a part of a certain organization or belief system, people then think that that's like, you know, contributes to all of your beliefs, which makes sense. But like, you know, I'd have people send me articles and be like, I knew you would like this. (laughs) It's like a Trump article. And I was like, um, no, (laughs) false. (laughs) I do not. Um, I'd have people send me like sermons and like Bible verses and be like, have a great day. And I'm like, please stop. (laughs) Like, this is terrible. I don't, I'm not a part of you anymore. The other really shitty thing was I had a huge, 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 huge Bible verse tattoo on my arm. Um, and God, I had so many strangers be like, yes, Jesus. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, I really need to get rid of this. I recently had it covered up and I'm very happy with it because I'm no longer getting approached by people, which is just fantastic. Um, I literally covered up with a black box, which is fucking hilarious. Um, even my tattoo artist was like, are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, yes, it's funny. <laughs> but yeah, it was like I had to make a public announcement. I also had to set some boundaries for myself, which I think is like kind of where I want to close with this is how do you move forward? Because I think it was so hard to lose my community and then also so hard to set boundaries because people would send me things, say things to me, etc., that were really triggering and I didn't know how to explain they were triggering. And so I had to set some serious boundaries. Um, I unfollowed every Christian influencer that I knew, you know, that I was following every worship leader. I unfollowed all the worship bands on Spotify so that I wouldn't get like release updates. Um, I deleted all like my worship music playlists. Um, I threw my Bible away, I think, or it's like in a box in my parents' attic. I don't have it anymore. That's for sure. That was part of me moving into my apartment was like, okay, I'm going through my entire book collection. That was when I threw away like the Judah Smith book too. Cause I was like, I don't need this. Um, I got rid of, you know, like the worship CDs I kept in my car. I got rid of all my little journals that had Bible verses on them. Um, I got rid of my clothes that had Bible verses on them. Um, and then I think one of the biggest ones was I made the announcement And I made it really clear in that announcement, I'm not a Christian. I don't want your opinion. I don't want you to try to tell me that I'm wrong or that you want to pray for me. I'm not a Christian and I do not want your opinion about it. And if you don't like that, you can unfollow me. 
Um, I also went through my Instagram and just unfollowed a lot of people and removed a lot of followers that I knew I would get shit from because it just wasn't necessary to have them in my life. You know, I wanted to post things where I felt comfortable and even post like sexy photos. And I I knew I was going to get shit from these people. And I just, that just wasn't worth it for me, honestly. Um, my laptop just started doing a really weird thing that looks like it's like some hip hypnotic shit. Um, but yeah, so I, I set those boundaries. And then I think one of the biggest ones was, um, I would talk about church hurt or about the fact that I didn't want to be a part of the church or why I was traumatized, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, I would actually get people being very patronizing to me and sending me things about, um, you know, oh, we're so sorry to hear you've fallen away from the church and you've lost your way. Bullshit like that. Um, and I ended up just like saying very bluntly to those people, like I'm an adult and this was an educated decision that I made. It was a decision that was years in the making and it was not a rash decision. And I don't appreciate the patronizing language that you're using. Um, I'm not lost. I know exactly where I'm at. And it took a lot to get here. And it's, I put a lot of thought into it. And I would kind of say my piece. And then I'd say, like, you know, I'll just give you a warning here. Like, if you're going to continue to be patronizing and send me these types of things, I will block you. And if the next message was like, oh, like, I'll pray for you, blocked immediately, immediately blocked. It just was not worth my time. Um, I think the other thing was I went through a really significant period of anger where I was so bitter and so angry and I just found it my goal to go toe to toe with every person in the Christian community that was communicating things that were harmful. Um, which I think there's a time and a place for, but honestly it it was like an energy leech for me where it just sucked all my energy away. Um, and I just like couldn't handle constantly being in a fight with people and it was damaging to me too. Like it, it hurt some of my relationships. It hurt some of my friendships because I was just always this like really angry ball of like bitterness. And, um, I was following a lot of accounts that kind of echoed that. And, um, I want to have someone come on to talk about what do you do in the deconstruction process after your, the angry period is gone. Um, cause it's a weird transition to go from like, up in arms, ready to fight the war against Christianity to then just not being as angry anymore. Um, and just kind of accepting it. And I think for me, I had to unfollow even some really popular deconstruction, uh, accounts because they were just really bitter. And I just like, couldn't handle seeing that all the time. Um, it just became really hard for me. And that's not to judge anybody on where they're at. I just, I would encourage you to, I don't know. I would encourage you to kind of take a look at yourself and say, do I need to still be angry? And if the answer is yes, then like, that's, that's okay. I was angry for a really long time. And if the answer is like, no, maybe I don't like, maybe I can start to transition into just like letting some of this go and like acknowledging that like it was harmful and it hurt me and still being really mindful of my triggers and my trauma, but like giving myself room and space to feel joy and peace again, because 
I think that was one of the hardest things for me was like learning when to put down the the weapons a little bit and just kind of live my life and not be so fixated on correcting all the wrongs in Christianity and just learning how to exist in the life that I had built for myself that I was really proud of, honestly, and the ethics and the morals that I had kind of built from the ground up because I didn't really have them as a kid. Um, everything, all of my morals, all my ethics, my entire being was rooted in Christianity and in the Bible. So I kind of had to entirely rebuild who I was and I wanted to be able to enjoy that and just live my life and focus on things that made me happy, even if they were really small. Um, and even tried, you know, doing things that I wasn't allowed to do. It's been such a blessing. Ew, I hate that I just said that. Sorry. It's been, (laughs) the language is still really ingrained in my brain. Um, It's been very beneficial to be able to explore my sexuality and to have sex and have sex a lot and have sex with different people. (laughs) And it's also been really healing for my sexual trauma because, um, for one, I've learned that not every guy assaults you. And for two, I've learned how to set physical boundaries, how to get, the biggest one is how to find red flags. Like I really discovered the, like, early red flags in relationships of, okay, this person isn't going to be a safe person for me. Um, which I didn't really know before cause I never dated. I was like so obsessed with like marrying any guy that like <laughs> laughed at me <laughs> or like flirted with me or gave me a compliment. I was like, Oh my God, he's my husband. <laughs> I found it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've just been able to actually focus on things that I want and, I just, you know, just even like things like, oh, maybe I don't want to be a mom. And that's really drilled into you in Christianity is like to reproduce. And it was like, maybe I don't want to be a mom. Maybe I don't want to get married young. And I started to be able to prioritize my needs and my wants above what the church wanted for me. Um, but yeah, that was obviously just a hi, It's just me talking. So it's just a long ramble about all my experiences. But like I said, I think that it's important to have context because we're going to talk about things later on. And we will have an episode on like deconstruction and religious trauma um, coming up pretty soon here, actually. Um, But I just, yeah, I wanted to make sure there was context to my story specifically because I do think it plays into a lot of how I'm going to respond to other things. And I want to kind of get these context episodes earlier on because that way you have the context moving forward. Um, But yeah, um, our next episode will be out next Friday. Um, It's going to be a really good one. It's about trauma. It's very interesting. And we get to talk with someone who's really cool, which I'm not going to spoil it, but it's very fun. Um, But until then, um, thank you guys so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please rate us five stars on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also follow the blog on at Serafina blog and visit us online at serafinablog.com. Also feel free to just like share the podcast. Um, you know, we're starting off pretty small here. So if you want to share it with your friends, share it on social media, that'll help a lot. And then as always to end our time, unclench your jaw, take a deep breath. And remember, you can always learn, you can always grow, and you can always choose to live your life in a more mindful way. I will see you guys next week.